Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. Now, here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be out with you. Praise be to God. It is Monday of Holy Week. April the 11th, 2022. Praise be to God, it has started. What a glorious day yesterday for Palm Sunday, too. We're going to have a great show today. In fact, Rod Bennett is back on the program. It's been a, well over a year since we t- last talked to Rod Bennett. It has to have been at least a year. Okay, it's been seven weeks. I take that back. It's been a year at least. These 12 is what we're going to talk about. It's a brand new book out of Catholic Answers today. Now, I love Rod Bennett. I love his writing. He's got that Tennessee draw, very comforting, you know, just engages you. He's a good storyteller. He's a great writer. His uh, books, uh, The Four Witnesses in particular, I really enjoyed that book. So many years ago when I met Rod for the first time in Atlanta at a new media conference, um, I've always enjoyed his writing. So we have him on the program today, coming up at 35 past the hour, to talk about the gospel through the eyes of the apostles uh, and his brand new book, Come Out by Catholic Answers Press. So it's going to be very good. Good morning to you, Rudy Carlos. Good morning, Joe. How many of Rod Bennett's books have you read, Pop Quiz? Well, I... uh... I have to admit, I, I don't know how to read. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that wasn't one of the options that I was thinking about, but okay. <laughs> well, I like the way you described it, Joe. I'm going to check out his yeah, books. Very good storyteller. I yeah. love that. And uh, and this is like, you know, kind of, rem- I was reading through the book this weekend, and uh, you you may just be old enough. I, I doubt Adrian is. Okay. When I was a kid, back in my day. Back in my day. <laughs> Get off my lawn, you little <laughs> rascal. No, I, we used to watch these like uh, documentaries in school. They'd, they'd wheel in the big boob tube oh, on the yeah. big cart uh-huh. and uh, put it on the – or sometimes it would be a projector on reels. And they would take the movie on the reels and they'd Amazing. project it onto the screen. <laughs> and uh, there'd be like documentaries, old school documentaries. You'd like watch – you'd watch animals frolicking in the mountains or something and <laughs> – and uh, there'd be a narrator explaining, you know, and the, and the wonder has abated and they've come out of there, you know, that kind of thing. Right. At times I felt like that's kind of how this was. You're the fly <laughs> on the wall watching the apostles. That's amazing. It was a cool experience. Huh. Well, yeah. I can't wait to talk to him. Speaking of which, Adrian Fonseca is here on the ones and twos. Good morning to you, Adrian. Howdy, howdy. Praise be to God. It's good to be here. Is it? Awesome. It was a great weekend and an amazing weekend with the... Beautiful liturgies over the weekend. We celebrated Our Lady of Sorrows on Friday because uh, it was the Feast of the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady. So it was a beautiful high mass on Friday night. And then, of course, you had, we had Palm Sunday. And I uh, gave a talk on the sacramentals on Saturday for a retreat. Yes, so but do great. you know how to read? Of course. Oh, well, that's a step up above Rudy anyway. Can, can yeah. you teach me? Yeah. Uh, I have a book on that, actually. Do you? A book on reading? <laughs> I have a book called How to Read a Book. Nice. It's about a thousand pages. <laughs> yeah, of course you do. <laughs> Praise be to God. Hey, there's lots in the news today uh, to cover as well, coming up at 15 past. New Jersey, uh, a Catholic governor there, by the way, says uh, you know they're going to require second graders to learn the LGBTQ ideology. What's going on with all of the... Catholic politicians running our country that are doing this type of stuff. It's absolutely insane. However, Alabama says same-sex procedures for children and LGBTQ ideology in elementary schools is banned. 
So that's very, very interesting. Uh, the Academy, speaking of banning people, the Academy has banned Will Smith from the Oscars for 10 years for slapping Chris Rock. Do you think it's a, a just punishment, Rudy? No, I don't think so. I think that's too much. Really? What would you yeah. have done? I don't know. He apologized. All of the comedians are like, this is a step too far. I mean, you're roasting people as a part you know of your job be, description. You know it would be a good punishment? What? Just to not talk about Will Smith ever again. Really? Yeah. Like, we're never it. allowed to ever? It's, yeah, I mean, why are we still talking about the slap? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, something had to have happened. Like, you can't just be walking on stage and slapping people. Sure. Sure. You know, maybe they don't get comedians that roast people, but you'd also don't get you <laughs> don't, don't get comedians. You, you don't get people walking on stage slapping people. It's like two unacceptable things. Nobody did anything about Adrian slapping me. That's that's true. That happened off air though. It was <laughs> that's a whole other sort of circumstance. I mean, we'll ban him from the Oscars too. How about that? He Fair? said. He Fair said, enough? "Learn to read." Bah! Adrian? I promise you that I will never again go to the Oscars. Okay. For 10 whole years. For 10 whole years. Are you giving it up for Lent, too? All right. Speaking of Lent, <laughs> hey, we're running out of time on our Lenten campaign. We're down to the wire now, praise be to God. Luz uh, took care of Saturday for us on our Lenten ca- uh, fasting, prayer, and penance campaign. And Michael Marr took care of yesterday, Sunday, praise God. And Isabel and June Yabara are on the deck today. So God love you all. Thank you for taking uh, your days for prayer, fasting, and penance for our Lenten campaign goals. We're so grateful to you. Let's jump in. We're going to pray our Golden Arrow prayer and get started. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. May the most holy, most sacred, most adorable, most incomprehensible, and unutterable name of God be always praised, blessed, loved, adored, and glorified in heaven, on earth, and under the earth by all the creatures of God, and by the sacred heart of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the most holy sacrament of the altar. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And now you're breaking news with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. Thanks for tuning into Catholic Drive Time. Today is Monday, April 11th, and these are your headlines. The Blaze reports, the Chinese government is accelerating the buildup of its nuclear arsenal as tensions with the U.S. arise. It is believed that the Chinese leaders see a strong nuclear arsenal as a way to deter the U.S. from evolving itself in a potential future conflict over Taiwan. The Chinese government has also accelerated the work on more than 100 suspected missile silos that could be used to store nuclear-tipped missiles in the remote western regions of China. Axios reports Russia taps new general to lead military operations in Ukraine. General Alexander Dvornikov will lead Russian forces with the goal of increasing coordination between various units. Up until this point, the Russian forces have been commanded separately. Russia had previously been running its military offensive in Ukraine from Moscow with no central war commander on the ground. Washington Examiner reports Texas woman arrested after self-induced abortion. Lizelle Herrera, who's 26, was arrested on Thursday by the Starr County Sheriff's Office on murder charges and is behind bars on a $500,000 bond. The stage of Herrera's pregnancy was not immediately clear, but a Texas DA has said that she would dismiss the indictment against her. Breitbart reports taking on China? Canada floats two-year ban on foreigners buying real estate. In the budget announced by the Minister of Finance of Canada, the government has proposed banning foreign buyers from scooping up more real estate in the country under the pretense of reducing the soaring cost of housing. The Winnipeg Sun reported that over the past two years, housing prices in Canada have jumped by over 50%. Kind of sounds like uh, us down here. And those are your headline news this morning. God love you. The Saints of the Day, that's right, Saints of the Day. We're going to get two for today. St. Stanislavs and St. Gemma Galgani. 
St. Stanislaus, he's actually the patron of one of my friends, John O'Neill. So that's what made me think of doing him as well. Born near Krakow on July 26, 1030, he was ordained a priest after being educated in the cathedral school of, here go Polish names, Gnaiso, and then the capital of Poland. And at Paris, he was appointed preacher and archdeacon to the Bishop of Krakow, which his eloquence and example brought about real conversion in many of his penitents, both clergy and laity. He became Bishop of Krakow in 1072. During an expedition against the Grand Duchy of Kiev, Stanislavs became involved in the political situation of Poland. Known for his outspokenness, he aimed his attacks at the evils of the peasantry and the king especially the unjust wars and the immoral acts of King Boleslaus II. The king first excused himself, then made a show of penance, then relapsed back into his old ways. Stanislaus continued his open opposition in spite of charges of treason and threats of death, finally excommunicating the king. Wow, we need that energy from some of our bishops today. Enraged, the latter ordered soldiers to kill the bishop. But when they refused, the king himself killed Stanislavs with his own hands on April 11th, 1079. Forced to flee to Hungary, Boleslaus supposedly spent the rest of his life as a penitent in the Benedictine Abbey in Osiak. It is said that John Paul II actually almost took the name Pope Stanislavs instead, but he was told he needed to choose a more Roman name. The second saint of the day is St. Gemma Galgani, born in 1878 on March 12th in a village near Lucca, Italy. Her mother was of noble lineage, and they were blessed with eight children. The future saint was baptized the day after she was born, and before she was even seven years old, she made her first confession and first communion. But soon after this, her mother became very ill. She used to kneel by her mother's pillow while they prayed together till her father sent her away to be taken care of by a kind aunt. The little girl went without a murmur, but never again saw her dear mother, for she soon died. Gemma Galgani developed meningitis, which left her deaf. Large abscesses formed on her head, and her hair fell off, and finally her limbs became paralyzed. A doctor was called in and tried many remedies, which all failed. She only grew worse. St. Gabriel, the sorrowful mother, which we've talked about before, appeared to her and told would recover after completing the novena of the Sacred Heart. Gemma, now in perfect health, desired to be consecrated a nun, but God had other plans. On the 8th of June, 1899, after receiving Holy Communion, she went into an ecstasy, and the Blessed Mother appeared to her and told her, I will be a mother to thee. Will thou be a true child? The Most Blessed Virgin then opened her mantle and covered St. Gemma in it. There she received the stigmata. St. Gemma died in 1903. St. Gemma and St. Stanislavs pray for us. Praise be to God in all things. The gospel today comes to us from John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. They gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served while Lazarus was one of those reclining at table with him. Mary took a liter of costly perfumed oil made from genuine aromatic nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and dried them with with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then Judas the Iscariot, one of the disciples, and the one who would betray him, said, 
Why was this oil not sold for three hundred days' wages and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and held the money bag and used to steal the contributions. So Jesus said, Leave her alone. Let her keep this for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The large crowd of the Jews found out that he was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And the chief priests plotted to kill Lazarus too, because many of the Jews were turning away and believing in Jesus because of him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. St. Augustine would say, Judas did not perish at the time when he received money from the Jews to betray our Lord. He was already a thief, already lost, and followed our Lord in body, not in heart, wherein we are taught the duty of tolerating wicked men, lest we divide the body of Christ. He who robs the church of anything may be compared to the lost Judas. Tolerate the wicked, thou that art good, thou that mayest receive the reward of the good, and not fall into the punishment of the wicked. Close quote, St. Augustine. Chrysostom would say, Mary did not take part in serving the guests generally, but gave all her attention to our Lord, treating him not as mere man, but as God. I find it very interesting, too, about uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the Jews that want to kill Lazarus again. They don't like his witness, you know, because many people were turning to the Lord at this point because of the miracles that were being performed to include raising a man from the dead after four days. The stench alone was testimony of this. Here's what St. Augustine says, quote, O foolish thought and blinded rage, as if you could by putting Lazarus to death Take away power from the Lord, as if Christ, who had already raised one that had died, could not as easily raise one that was slain. But lo, he has done both. Lazarus dead, he hath restored to life, and himself slain, he hath raised to life. Close quote, St. Augustine. Uh, Alcuin uh, brings up mystically that he came to Bethany six days before the Passover means that he who made all things in six days, who created man on the sixth, in the sixth age of the world, the sixth day, the sixth hour, came to redeem mankind. Close quote, Alcuin. Well, we've got lots to chew on today, and this whole week is going to be pretty darn amazing. Praise be to God. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. What's concerning us is coming up next. Don't have the drive time is on the way. The 40 days of Lent remind us of when Jesus himself fasted and was tempted in the desert. In the Bible, 40 symbolizes a time of struggle, purification, and rebirth. 40 weeks is the time it takes a child to be developed in their mother's womb. Noah, in the ark, watched it rain for 40 days and 40 nights, and then the people of God were reborn after the flood. Moses went up Mount Sinai for 40 days to receive the commandments and the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years to find the promised land. Jesus enters the wilderness for 40 days filled with the Holy Spirit. There, the devil tries to tempt Jesus with the same things the Israelites struggled with in the desert, hunger, doubt, and obedience. 
But Jesus rebukes him, each time with quotes from the Old Testament. Let us seek a time of rebirth and purification these 40 days of Lent. This is Matt Maloney from KnowTheFaith.net. There will come a day when each of us will be asked to review the movie of our life and give an account to God. We will sorrowfully relive the bad times and joyfully revisit the good. Thankfully, no matter what you've done, there is hope. Since Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save it. So if you've been away from church for a while, we invite you to come home and find the peace that only comes from God. Visit catholicscomehome.org. Me to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you, praise be to God. Coming up at 35 past the hour, Rod Bennett is going to be our guest to talk about his brand new book out of Catholic Answers called These Twelve, The Gospel Through the Apostles' Eyes. It's a, it's a good book. I just finished it. I went through it over the weekend, and uh, we have a lot to conversate with Rod Bennett about. He's also the author of The Four Witnesses and other books, and I really enjoyed his writing over the years, so it's going to be good to get him back on the show. There are, as I say, lots of stories in the news that are of great concern to me, and I'm sure they are to you as well. Um, Here's a commentary uh, from Eric Sammons, who we've had on the show a number of times. He's the editor over at Crisis Magazine, and I think this is an important topic, although I'm going to be honest with you, for guys like me, this is going to be a hard topic. Okay, so fair warning, trigger warning here. Some of you, you may be triggered. Okay, I don't mean to do you harm, but just hang with me on this, okay? Here's the headline. It says, 2% Catholics and the roots of modern idolatry. It's not what you think. It's not what you think. Here's the article. It says, the Pachamama incident at the Vatican in October the two th- October 2019 was the most egregious case of idolatry anyone has witnessed in a long time. In full view of the whole world, men and women bowed to a literal wooden idol, replacing the uncreated God with the work of men's hands. However, Pachamama was not a singular case. While there's the hard idolatry like Pachamama making a return after centuries of dormancy in the Western world, there's also the soft idolatry uh, prevalent all around us. We idolize everything from movie stars to sports figures to inanimate objects like our smartphones. We are awash in idolatry. What has caused modern man to become so desperate to make anything other than the Almighty God our God? It begins with something you likely wouldn't suspect widespread gluttony. Oh, yeah, gluttony. Pop quiz. How often have you ever confessed the sin of gluttony? I would argue most people probably don't. Most people probably don't confess this sin. Here's the article. Are you still reading? Eric Sammons asks, because I've had a lot of people check out right then and there. If so, you're probably in a minority. Gluttony is the ever-pervasive sin we're happy to ignore. How many homilies have you heard against gluttony? How many men's or women's conferences feature talks on gluttony? The only sin less mentioned than artificial birth control in Catholic circles is gluttony. Suggesting the overindulgent eating is a sin 
can even lead to accusations of fat shaming from some corners of society. Yet the church fathers considered gluttony a root sin that led to many others. St. John Cassian, a church father and an influential monk of the late 4th and early 5th centuries, wrote that monks and all Christians need to overcome eight vices. Gluttony, fornication, avarice, anger, sadness, achadia, vainglory, and pride. The order in which he listed these vices was not arbitrary. He found that conquering one vice was often dependent upon defeating uh, preceding vices in the list. Therefore, gluttony's place at the head of the list is significant. In Cassian's Conference 5, in Cassian's Conference 5, he compares the Christian overcoming vices to the chosen people overcoming the various inhabitants of the promised land. Only by defeating these enemies could they inhabit the land. Specifically, Cassian compares seven of the eight vices to the seven nations that the Israelites had to defeat. What about the other vice? Cassian writes that uh, the, the first vice, gluttony, is to be compared to Egypt, from which the Israelites had to escape first before traveling to the promised land. In other words, if one does not overcome gluttony, he cannot even engage in battle against other vices. Further, Cassian describes three kinds of gluttony, eating before the appointed time, overeating, and desiring delicate foods. Yikes. Yikes. Did you hear that? Let me read that again, because uh, I think that's important. He says uh, he describes three kinds of gluttony, eating before the appointed time, overeating, and desiring delicate foods. What would Cassian think of the modern men in society like ours with bulging midsections, consuming rich foods all day, every day? St. Basil the Great, one of the four great doctors of the Eastern Church Fathers, connects gluttony directly to idolatry. In a sermon on fasting, he notes that Moses first fasted before ascending Mount Sinai so that he would be strong enough to receive the Ten Commandments. Contrary to current con conventional wisdom, fasting makes one strong, not weak. Then he says, but below at its foot, gluttony was the means of leading the people into the worship of idols so uh, and so of polluting them. In one moment of time, the people who had, by means of great wonders, been taught to worship God, fell headlong through gluttony into the cesspool of Egyptian idolatry. Why was gluttony seen as such a horrible vice? One that leads to more sin, including idolatry? It is because gluttony itself, in a certain sense, idolatry, for it puts oneself at the center of existence. I will put my own physical satisfaction above all. I will make my body's desires my idol, or as St. Paul put it, for the gluttonous, their God is their belly, in Philippians 3.19. Gluttony is the first vice to overcome because eating is the first and most necessary activity for all of us after breathing, but it is not possible to over-breathe. Well, I don't know. I think it might be. You can hyperventilate. It's, it's a thing. Oh, should, you, should you confess? Confess hyperventilating on purpose? Yeah, you should. I, I wonder. I wonder. <laughs> but you know what? I, as I'm reading this, and there's more to this article, but as I'm reading this from Eric Sammons over Crisis Magazine, I got to tell you, um, there was a time not all that long ago in my life that I was well over 400 pounds. And thank you, Adrian. I appreciate the applause. <laughs> and it, it, my day was kind of crazy. I'd 
course, wake up eating. I would uh, snack in between meals. I would eat large lunches, large dinners, and everything. In fact, I would eat my – okay, so the one thing that I can never – like if I have it, it's like it's like the addict that goes off of the, the bandwagon. You know, so I fall off if I eat pe- chocolate peanut M&Ms. When I was so in good. boot camp, the one thing I craved most for three months was chocolate peanut M&Ms. And the Sunday before graduation, they let us roam the base. What did I do? I went and bought a pound of chocolate peanut M&M's. This is while I was in boot camp, the greatest shape <laughs> of my life. And I hammered that pound. In mere minutes, I just <laughs> sucked it all up, gone. I used to, like, every day I would have, like, a pound of peanut M&M's and, and like, a three liter of Mountain Dew. And, I mean, I would just crush this stuff, and it was killing me. And uh, losing weight has been a big struggle in my life for so long. I can appreciate how hard it is because I love food. I love good, tasty food. Like uh, yeah, like a bacon double cheeseburger, oof, I could crush two or three or ten of those a day. I mean, but my mind has to work. My mind, my intellect has to say, Joe, you do not need yet another bacon cheeseburger today. Like that's the role our intellect has to play. Our consciences, our, our wills, our appetites, our disordered passions must be subjected to reason. And, and, uh, and too often we give ourselves into food. And I got to tell you, it wasn't until uh, one night a couple years ago, I was, uh, I was sick. So I wasn't sleeping for like three days. And it was like 2.30 in the morning or something. And I decided right then and there that I would begin fasting that I would embrace the idea of fasting. But I didn't do it for weight loss. I don't really care about weight loss all that much. I did it because I felt like it would be uh, a part of the spiritual um, exercise of trying to tame the disordered passions. And, uh, and so now I don't snack in between meals. I don't drink soda. I can't have the peanut M&Ms. <laughs> For crying out loud, I would love some, but no, can't do it. Can't have bacon cheeseburgers with the blue cheese and the whiskey Ooh. river at Red Robin. Ooh, you ever had a whiskey <laughs> river at Red, Red Robin? Not a whiskey river, but I oh. do enjoy blue cheese on a burger. I'm telling you, it's, it's delicious. It's delicious, but it would be wrong to have one all the time. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you, Joe. I mean, that's part of why I gave up sweets this, uh, this Lent. It's because... You have to tame your disordered desires. You have to castigate yourself because so often you're you're allowing your your just base passions to overwhelm your intellect, and uh, and really it's like Eric Samuels was saying it's it's really the the first step in being able to control your life and you know even rein in your your your, your passions yeah. is to to control food. That's that's one thing that you do every single day. So you can practice it very often. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, gluttony, according to the church fathers, especially the the desert fathers, those who were out and uh, and as hermits, they would talk about gluttony as the first sin to conquer. Because even though gluttony is not the worst of sins, that would be you know lust sends the mo- most people to hell, and pride is the worst sin. But gluttony is the beginning because once you can overcome your passions for food, because food is so directed to our nature, something that we need to survive, 
and because we have a disorder passion for it, to conquer that one leads us to be able to conquer many more. And, and that's a, there's a reason why people have a fascination with devouring food. That's why you see all these like on Food Channel and all these YouTubers that are it's like stuff themselves with food constantly. Yeah. We have yeah. an obsession with it, and there's also a disgust with it. We like are grossed out by people stuffing their faces, but at the same time, we can't look away. It's a kind of a strange thing. So as a, as the early fathers will talk about, we have to conquer our bellies. We have to conquer our stomachs so that way we do not have, they call it the, the lust of the body, uh, to gratify the lust of the flesh. And so that's something that we have to overcome. And I think that's uh, something that we as Americans fall into way too easily. It's just something that you constantly have to be on guard with. Yeah. He, uh, Eric Sammons, towards the end of this article, says in the current Catholic calendar, there are only two days of required fasting and only eight days of required abstinence from meat, with Ash Wednesday and Good Friday being both days fasting and abstinence. This means that only eight out of 365 days, only 2% of the year, require Catholics to even think about and how much they eat. Uh, we don't even mention fasting anymore in our liturgies. So while it might be true that it's okay to feast on the Annunciation, as an example here, it is also okay to treat all of ordinary time and even Advent as potential seasons, as times for for feasting as well, which is essentially what we do with our regular Western diets. What he's making the point here is, you know, we have very little that the Church has now asked us. It used to be a lot more in the in the good old days, but these days the Church is barely asking us at all to to rein in this disordered passion of eating, right? And we even give ourselves a pass during one of these seasons, we give ourselves a pass on a solemnity to feast on the Annunciation as well. So it's a very it's an interesting contrast because the whole article is trying to point out that this disordered passion does not live in a vacuum. When we eat too much, when we allow food to rule our life, when we eat when we're anxious or depressed, or stressed, it leads to other things like idolatry. It makes us the center of the universe instead of God. So let's get a grip on that today. Let's work on that. Praise be to God. We've got two opportunities Wednesday and Friday. Let's make use of those this week. We'll be right back. Breaking news and Rod Bennett's coming up next. Looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium? Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the University of Dallas offers an exceptional liberal arts education, preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for the world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. During the 40 days that Jesus spent fasting in the desert, the first temptation he experienced from the devil was that of hunger. The devil said, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus responds by quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. God let the Israelites be afflicted with hunger in the desert, but then fed them with manna, a food unknown to them that prefigured the Eucharist, so that they might know that it is not by bread alone that people live, but by faith. If we put our faith first, God will provide for our needs. Keep this in mind as we fast and abstain each Friday this Lent. If you already give up meat on Fridays, give up something else to bring you a little hunger. 
for fasting purifies the soul. It shifts our priorities to God and lets Him provide for us. This is Matt Maloney from KnowTheFaith.net. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired, and now more headlines. Reuters reports France's Macron and Le Pen head for a cliffhanger April 24th election runoff. French leader Emmanuel Macron and challenger Marine Le Pen qualified on Sunday for what promises to be a very tightly fought presidential election runoff on April 24th. Pitting the pro-European economic liberal against a conservative nationalist. Daily Wire reports Whitner Whitmer plot jury doesn't convict on conspiracy charges. Two men walk free. Prosecutors failed to prove that four men conspired to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer ahead of the 2020 election. Attorneys went after FBI informant Dan Chappelle, the cornerstone of the case, who recorded hundreds of hours worth of audio of the conspirators from March to October 2020. The defense emphasized the roughly $54,000 Chappelle received from the FBI in reimbursements and other compensation for aiding the investigation for seven months. The Epic Times reports COVID-19 linked to Alzheimer's like brain changes, a study suggests. Very interesting article over at the Epic Times, a little too long to uh, to break down here. Breitbart reports Texas holds up traffic to change Mexico's migration politics. Texas Governor Greg Abbott is choking truck traffic across the U.S.-Mexico border to get Mexico Mexico's government to help block the migrant flood invited by President Joe Biden's border chief. There will also be enhanced security checks to curtail the flow of drugs, human traffickers, illegal immigrants, weapons, and other contraband into Texas. And those are your headline news this morning. God love you. Praise be to God in all things. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up to date. We're very grateful to you. Uh, Joining us right now by phone is Rod Bennett, author of These Twelve, The Gospel Through the Eyes of the Apostles, published by Catholic Answers Press. Praise be to God. Good morning to you, Rod Bennett. Good morning. It's very ha- very nice to be with you this morning. It's uh, we're glad to talk to you. You know, you might you probably don't remember, but I remember meeting you for the first time. Uh, it was 2008. We were at a new media conference at in Atlanta, Georgia, and I had just finished narrating the seven epistles of Saint Ignatius of Antioch because I wanted Protestants to, fo- to discover him. So I thought if I narrated them into audio form and make them widely available on the internet, people would find them and listen to them, like my relatives, for instance. And um, and then someone introduced me to your book, The Four Witnesses, and I read it. It was so good. It was such a great description of St. Ignatius of Antioch, as well as others. And and uh, and it was such an honor to be able to meet you in person. And I got to say, before we start, I really enjoy your writing. It's very good. It's very engaging. It's very easy to read, but it's a, it's like keeps you engaged. And I think it's part of the charm that you bring to these subjects. And uh, and this book in particular, I read it over the weekend. These twelve through the through the uh, gospel, the gospel through the eyes of the apostles. Um, I found this fascinating. I was telling Rudy at the beginning of the program that at times it reminded me of watching documentaries, being a fly on the wall, and just sort of seeing things uncover. Uh, what? Why? I know this was a project that you've been thinking about for many years, but why? Why now? Well, you know, actually. <clears throat> My one of my publishers contacted me and uh, asked me, you know, do you have a a, a book about the twelve apostles uh, in you somewhere? <laughs> and I said, you know, it just happens that I do. I uh, have had, I've been stewing on this subject of uh, the role of the apostles and uh, what they were intended to accomplish in God's economy of salvation 
uh, for some years, years when I was still an evangelical Christian. So, uh, yeah, actually, I've got notes for this project that go back to the early 80s. So, uh, so yes, the answer was yes. I did have uh, a book about the Twelve Apostles in me someplace, and uh, here it is. What, why did you start with Nathaniel? You know, I saw uh, early on that he was a great uh, way to enter and approach the the project. If you want an audience identification figure, somebody that's a little bit of an outsider to the other twelve who gets called into the uh, uh, the circle uh, and and experiences it from a slightly unique perspective, uh, Nathaniel was a good one. Also, the fact that his uh, there's an old uh, tradition that Nathaniel was uh, studying to be a scribe when he uh, was called. And uh, that means that he is somebody who had uh, who knew the Old Testament scriptures very well, <clears throat> excuse me, and who uh, you could count on him to be very familiar with all the ancient prophecies of Messiah. So he was a good vehicle for conveying uh, people's uh, preconceived ideas going in, or maybe their uh, misconceptions, and uh, and how that would factor into the uh, factor into the experience of meeting Christ. Yeah, I was raised Protestant, Church of Christ, and I've heard it a bunch of times. You know these these apostles, these twelve men, they're a bunch of knuckle draggers, they're a bunch of Neanderthals. They're not very smart. Look what God did with such dumb people. You know, and we it's kind of a a myth that gets perpetuated over the centuries and over and over again in, in uh, sermons and homilies, and we hear it too much. But yet, I find it fascinating because in your book, you point out that there's a deeper level here than just simple fishermen from the North, which is fascinating all by itself, is the vast majority of all his apostles were from the North. They weren't, uh, they weren't from Jerusalem. Um, speak to that for a moment, because I think that was a very good aspect of your book. Sure, yeah. I... Uh... You know, I have noticed uh, there's especially, you know, since discovering the writings of the fathers, how differently they talk about this subject than uh, than modern modern writers, whether Catholic or Protestant. You're just as likely to hear a, uh, a, a homily where the apostles are made into sort of the comic relief of the piece. Uh, you're just as likely to hear that from a uh, from a Catholic uh, pulpit as you are from any other. And it's it's strange. It, there are some of the things that they that they talk about in this regard uh, are mistakes and uh, uh, misconceptions and all the rest of it. So there are things there to say. You know, here's somebody that's speaking a little out of turn, or here's somebody being a little headstrong, or uh, presuming to uh, to correct the Lord at several points. But. Uh, uh, <laughs> You know, we've blown that up into a sort of a cottage industry of of uh, overemphasizing, I think, how uh, how uh, dumb they are, <laughs> as you point out, knuckle draggers. Uh, made into the comedy relief is a good way to put it, and uh, that that's not the way the early uh, church looked at it at all. Uh, the several neglected facts about this are that. Uh, Josephus, the ancient Jewish historian, tells us that Galilee was actually, in a strange way, even though it was rural, it was really actually a bit of a cosmopolitan place. It was a cross uh, one of the great crossroads of trade in the Roman Empire. Uh, on their uh, western coast was the uh, nation, the country of Phoenicia, and uh, the, one of the great seaports of uh, the ancient world was was there. In fact. 
we can trace uh, the roots of our own alphabet to uh, Phoenicia. And uh, so there was a constant flow of uh, a rather uh, in, uh, cosmopolitan people through uh, Galilee. And uh, Josephus tells us that all of the synagogues in Galilee had good synagogue schools where they sent all the boys. And so the boys learned to speak Greek because it was constantly used in that area. And that uh, they they probably had they were probably some of the best educated people in uh, the Holy Land at that time, so that's one misconception. But another aspect of it is the uh, the fact that well, the scriptures tell us outright that at least three of uh, Jesus's twelve, and almost certainly four, are explicitly referred to as former disciples of John the Baptist. Mm. This means that they had a discipleship, a period of training, probably for years, likely at least as long with John as they had with Jesus later, uh, of uh, training, schooling, and discipleship to be ready for Messiah. So, so schooling in all the Messianic prophecy of Scripture. Uh, we have a pretty good sense of what John's teaching was, uh, because John was very likely, and this is a commonly received opinion in the church these days, that John was very likely had roots in the Essene movement, mm. because the place that where he did all of his preaching was also the center of Essenism. These are the people who gave us the, the Dead Sea Scrolls. <clears throat> so when we look at uh, what the Essenes taught, it's remarkable how much of it prefigures Christianity. So a lot of the ideas that uh, uh, that flower under Christ's uh, tutelage were things that were probably planted there to begin with by John, which makes sense. I mean, we're told that John was sent to uh, make the Lord's path straight, to make the way of the uh, to prepare the way of the Lord, and he seems to have done that in a in a remarkably literal sense. If all of this is true, but all of this to say that the apostles. Uh, may have been simple men, may have been uh, fishermen, etc., but some of our great thinkers have been uh, people who, who actually were farmers, and, uh, you know, it's a bit of prejudice against uh, against rural people or people who make their living off the land. Some of, some of our great great thinkers have had that sort of origin. Uh, Mr. Bennett, that's, I mean, that's fascinating, you know. Uh, do you think that that's one of the biggest uh, objections to the apostles, or are there others? Got about uh, 30 seconds to break. Probably the main objection is that most in most people's system, they seem superfluous. Uh, you know, any system that, that emphasizes your personal encounter with the Bible alone is going to say, well, you, there's no need for human go-betweens or anything like that. There is, uh, there's just your, your personal encounter with Scripture, and so anything else is relatively unimportant, including the role of the apostles in the founding of the Church and the writings of the early fathers, all of that. Is, is really not important. So I think that's it, the emphasization. Well, we're right at a break. Rod Bennett is our guest that these 12, the gospel through the apostles' eyes, published by Catholic Answers Press, is our guest. Don't go anywhere. On the other side of this break, we'll continue our conversation. But do us a friend, uh, sh- do us a favor and share us with a friend. I can't wait. We are under a week before I get coffee back. Praise be to God. You're welcome, by the way. <laughs> we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Catholic Drive Time headed your way. Think of that person in your life that you have a hard time reconciling with. If he or she doesn't immediately come to your mind, ask your guardian angel to help you discern who that person might be. 
Pray for that person every day through the rest of Lent, even if you can't stand them. What good is it to fast and obey every discipline of Lent, but still end up after 40 days not reconciled with each other? The Lord's Prayer is an important prayer to revisit on a deeper level during Lent. We pray, Give us this day our daily bread as we forgive those who trespass against us. We must rely on God for all things and be reconciled with Him, but we must also become reconciled with each other. This is Matt Maloney for KnowTheFaith.net. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. Be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. These 12, the gospel through the apostles' eyes. Rod Bennett uh, wrote this great book published by Catholic Answers Press. Uh, Welcome back to the show, Rod Bennett. Um, One of the things that I was also thinking about when I read through this book over the weekend is so many times we get these books that try to recount the stories of the apostles, and they typically just quote in great length the Gospels themselves. And it's like, we've already read the Gospels, and so there's nothing, I feel like there's not anything new, no new insight or nothing original or interesting, whereas this book really kind of, you seem to avoid doing that to a great extent, and you really brought in the early Church Fathers, of course, a lot of Old Testament as well. Was that your goal? Were you trying to do that, or is that just how it all hammered out? Well, it's a little bit of both. I was trying to be fresh and tell you something you don't know. But also, at the same time, uh, the if you're going to write about the Twelve, uh, you've got a little bit of a task ahead of you, because of the Twelve, at least six of them, well, six, I think, uh, are nothing but names on the list when it comes to the Gospels. In other words, none of them, there's no episode... No, no exchange between Christ and these men. Six of the twelve are are just named, and that's it. And that's all we get in the uh, in the Gospels themselves. We can pick up a little extra st- extra material in the uh, New Testament epistles, but honestly, for for a lot of it, you have to rely on extra biblical uh, accounts. And you know, you're always whenever you do that, you're you're stepping away from the inspired Word of God into uh, normal history and legend, and I say that some of it, some of these accounts are more trustworthy than others. Others uh, uh, seem to be, you know, there may be, like any legend, there's probably a grain of truth behind it somewhere. But, uh, uh, so there is a process of discernment that has to happen as you uh, share this kind of material. Uh, Some some of it you avoid sharing because it probably has no uh, historical basis. And then, but a, a part of it, you can use your imagination. You can combine it with uh, with the uh, principles from Scripture that seem to suggest that the material is trustworthy. At any rate, there's a certain amount of artistry in bringing it in. But uh, uh, in order to make this kind of uh, 
story about all of the twelve, you you do have to uh, you do have to rely on extra biblical material. So, so yeah, there's a, a, a deliberate uh, emphasis, emphasizing on my part of fresh things that are fresh and lesser known facts, but also you also are forced to rely upon uh, stuff that isn't actually in the Gospels. You know, Mr. Bennett, I was thinking about this when you were answering a couple of the other questions earlier, and I've gone through a couple of your books, Bad Shepherd and uh, Scripture Wars and a couple others, and one thing is that always has bothered me about books about the Scriptures in modern times. I'm just thinking of, off the top of my head, a recent book just came out with the Daily Wire uh, host, Andrew Clavin, on his interpretation of the Gospels and of Scripture uh, through the eyes of the of the Renaissance poets, and I'm like— why Why do I want to know what the Renaissance poets thought of Scripture whenever I can look at Cornelius Alapidae or I can look at uh, St. Thomas Aquinas or John Chrysostom, and in your case, the Apostles? And that's one thing that I want you to the question. Basically, the question I have for you is, how is it that uh, your books, which are also modern, are there books written today, but they're still rooted in things that are back into the early church, things that are with tradition versus these ideas that are, this is just my interpretation of Scripture. Well, it's, it has to do with the fact that uh, my first book, Four Witnesses, uh, it has, is still by far the one that people are most interested in of all my books. And uh, it's still in print after 20 years, which is a pretty unusual thing. But because of that, because the first book I wrote was uh, was because, about the early fathers, about the earliest fathers, the apostolic fathers, as they're called, people who who had some connection to the apostles themselves, and that's how, you know that's how far back we're talking. The the next generation after the actual apostles. Uh, because I started out writing about the early fathers, that's sort of become my speciality, and that's the thing that people want to hear from me from the most part. So. Uh, the short answer is that uh, that's sort of uh, the thing that I do, is write about those those earliest centuries. And it is important because, uh, uh, you know, the closer you are to the uh, to the root, the more fundamental your, uh, your principles are, uh, the more likely that you are to, uh, uh, you know, have something like the original message. I think it was uh, John Wesley, a uh, great... Anglican. We think of him as the founder of Methodism, but he actually was an Anglican all his life and uh, uh, was well versed in the early church fathers. And Wesley said, "We go back to the uh, to the fathers because they're the closest to the fountain, that is, to Christ and the apostles, and because they're the most authentic interpreters of Scripture." And so that's that's the value of going back. You know, it might be of interest to, to hear uh, the things you're talking about, poets from the Renaissance, et cetera, but uh, there might be value in that. But uh, if you want to go closest to the fountain and to a mo- the most authentic interpretation, then you go to the early fathers. And thinking about like being close to the fountain and what the early church fathers had to say, you know, we're in Holy Week leading up to the, the holiest time of year, the most time that where you're supposed to be reflecting and contemplating the truth. What did the apostles have to say, or what, what can we glean from your book and about, and just the apostles in general on Holy Week and, and Easter? Well, uh, the, you know, uh, above and beyond the usual themes that, that you're going to hear in church, you know, that this is a time to ponder the sacrifice that our blessed Lord undertook on our behalf. Uh, you also, from seeing how the apostles lived through it, you uh, you can focus on how 
the experiences of the passion uh, <clears throat> explained or solved the mysteries of who the Messiah was and what his purposes were, all the things that God sent him into the world to accomplish. Uh, the way in which uh, Christ's uh, passion and uh, was unexpected, you know, you think, how could it be unexpected? Because there's a lot of prophecy in Scripture in the Old Testament about uh, a suffering Savior and, uh, you know, the uh, the man of sorrows. We find prophecy in Isaiah 53. The, the Old Testament is full of prophecy about uh, somebody who uh, will heal us by taking our punishment himself. All of that's <clears throat> very prominent, but uh, one of the ways that one of the things that made it confusing and difficult for uh, the early hearer, Christ's early hearers, is there's at least as much prophecy, and uh, uh, maybe even more, of a Messiah who would come and act as a man of war, who would come and uh, uh, put things bust heads and put things right. If you see what I'm saying. <laughs> In other words, there's just as much Old Testament prophecy of a successful Messiah who uh, uh, who liberates in what would seem to be the political field. In other words, throwing off uh, oppressors that were over the uh, uh, Israelite people, the Romans and other mm. pagan uh, groups. Uh, all of that, the scriptures are just as much full of that kind of prophecy as, as any other kind. So for the apostles, it was a matter of, you know, are we supposed to pick and choose which of these we like best, or what are we supposed to do? How can these things both be true at once? And so that's why it was confusing. So <clears throat> the passion and the death of Christ, even though he himself had prophesied it to them, was confusing because it seemed to contradict so much of what they had learned from the Old Testament about uh, uh, that kind of military savior, somebody who would be the new uh, the new King David or the new Gideon. And uh, so watching it all happen was like watching the pieces click into place and come together, especially without giving away the end of the book. <laughs> they received the mystery, uh, the answer to the mystery of how the uh, man of war and the man of sorrows could be the same person. You know, ever since I started studying typology and and with uh, you know Scott Hahn and the St. Paul Center for Biblical uh, Theology, I, I, I've always been fascinated by that big, huge contrast between first-century Jews who knew, uh, had a uh, workable understanding of the prophecies that you just referred to, versus 21st-century you know, Westerners who are so far removed have no idea. We read Scripture from the surface only. We can't see the depths. We can't put ourselves in the place, in the, in the shoes of these these Jews who are like in awe of the person they see before them, trying to wrap their heads around what this means and how this how this all squares with those prophecies. And I think your book really tried to accomplish that for us, to help us see that uh, from their eyes. And I thought that was very fascinating. But with only a couple minutes left, let's turn to the end. And uh, one of the points that I found fascinating about your book uh, was trying to tell the story of how these 12 men ended their life, their journey, their apostolic mission and, uh, you know, and I found that contrast very interesting. The Gospels, very reliable, extremely reliable, we have in our Gospels, praise be to God. Their deaths and their work and their actual postulates, not so much. Well, yes, the, the, uh, uh, the, we, we underestimate the uh, miracle of having the Scriptures, in the Scriptures, a book that's uh, infallible and uh, uh, made... Uh, reliable by the uh, action of God's inspiration. We underestimate that. There's a gulf between uh, human 
history and human uh, efforts to remember something over 2,000 years. Uh, there's, a, there's a gulf between those merely human efforts and the power of God to preserve the truth uh, within the Scriptures. But nevertheless, uh, there is uh, uh, good historical information from that far back. People sometimes take the – one of the big problems we have when trying to talk about things like this is people sometimes take the Henry Ford approach. Henry Ford was famous for having said, history is bunk. <laughs> he didn't believe that you could know anything about the past. And uh, and there's a lot of people who, who, who have fallen into the same trap today. Uh, but it is true that when you uh, – when you turn from scripture to just legends and history, uh, you tr- you drop down to a different level. But there is a lot that can be gleaned, and the church does have a pretty good memory about what happened to her heroes and her saints. So there's an awful lot of uh, of good stuff that can still be gleaned from all of that. All right, praise be to God, Rod Bennett. These 12, The Gospel Through the Apostles' Eyes, published by Catholic Answers Press. You can get it at catholic.com. Rod, thank you for your time today. God love you. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you, Joe. You too. All right, that's going to do it for our number one. Praise be to God. Get the book. It's great. You're going to love it. It's going to be very enjoyable. Catholic.com. But if you can join us in the second hour, we'll have a great time playing our game show, Fear and Trembling. New prizes at stake. We have good news and a lot more coming up in the next hour for those that can join us. Go to grnonline.com forward slash C-D-T. God love you. God bless you. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. in my life and I'm energized by new adventures I've got friends to laugh with and a good relationship but even though I'm kind of comfortable I sometimes wonder is there something more could God in church be what you're looking for come and see at catholicscomehome.com Obedience is the second temptation of the devil for Jesus in the wilderness. The evil one showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a single instant. Then he said to Jesus, I shall give to you all this power and their glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I may give it to whomever I wish. All this will be yours if you worship me. But Jesus again quotes from Deuteronomy and says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. Unlike the Israelites who gave in to the false worship of the golden calf when they grew impatient of Moses up on Mount Sinai, Jesus stays firm and loyal to the first commandment of the law, to not worship false gods or idols, and to remain obedient to God his Father alone. 
Let us reflect on any false gods, idols, or priorities in our lives during this holy season of Lent. This is Matt Maloney from KnowTheFaith.net. Your odyssey begins at the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving and Italy, UD's rigorous core curriculum sets it apart. An education rooted in the great works of Catholic and Western tradition. An education that ennobles and enables students in the pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue. Undergraduate, graduate, and certificate programs are available. Start your college odyssey at the University of Dallas today. Go to udallas.edu to learn more. Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. Now, here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be out with you. Praise be to God. Good morning. Monday of Holy Week. Holy Week has come. It's already here. Praise be to God. It is April the 11th, 2022. We just wrapped up a great conversation with Rod Bennett, the author of These Twelve, a brand new book out of Catholic Answers, about looking at our Lord, the Gospels, through the perspective of the apostles themselves. Very fascinating read. Uh, I highly encourage you to to check that out at Catholic.com. But... Uh, we have a great show lined up for you this hour. Looking forward to it. Brand new prize sponsor for our game show. So that's coming up. Praise be to God. Uh, good morning to you, Rudy. Good morning, Joe. Yeah, any, it's a... Any it's, hints or well, clues or... Look, yeah. I like to give out prizes. I like to find people who can give us prizes uh-huh. that we can use yeah. to yeah. supercharge our prayer life. And this sponsor... We're giving away a new car. <laughs> No? no? Yeah, because in the car, well, your reasoning is in the car, you could listen to Catholic Drive Time. Yeah. Super so, you see where I'm going with this. I, yeah. it's, I wish I could give away a car. You wait, What's wish. wrong with your car? We give your car away. You got you, two for crying my 30-year-old car? Yeah, it's, it's an antique. <laughs> it's classic. And someday you'll be a saint. It'll be well, a relic. It's Well, maybe. Maria's going to inherit it. She's yeah. going to be driving that one. But will she? In 16 years. years. That'll be, that'd be <laughs> 50, 60 years old car. It would be a classic. I don't know, man. I don't see it <laughs> happening. It's a very sought-after Camry. Yeah. <laughs> Camry. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know about sought-after, but <laughs> sought-off, possibly. I'm not, I'm not sure. All right, so you, all right, so what's the hint for the prize? I, I, well, I, it's going to supercharge your prayer life, whoever wins it. Okay. Or you can go and support Supercharged. Sponsor. Supercharged. Supercharged. Yeah. So I'm thinking F, uh, Ford F-150 Raptor. Let me give you another hint. You could put it in your pocket. How's can't that? put a Raptor in my pocket. No, you can't. Yeah. Speaking of which, Adrian Fonseca is here on the ones and twos. Good morning to Adrian. Speaking of putting me in the in your pocket? Definitely or speaking can't. of Raptors? I definitely can't put you in, the, okay. in my pocket. Yeah, this is true. This is true. <laughs> and when I think Raptors, I think of uh, of what's the the show of the movie? Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, Jurassic Park. Jurassic, Jurassic, Jurassic Park. I think of Raptors. Yeah. Yes. And that's what the I think Velociraptors? of. Velociraptors? Exactly. Yes. Exactly. No, but praise be to God. It's good to be here today. It's a beautiful day. It's uh, The sun is about to rise. Oh, I thought you were going to sing Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I've it's actually never seen a single thing of Mr. Rogers in my life. 
What? Yeah. Never? I know who he is, but I have never seen a single episode of You're Mr. making Rogers. that up. Nope. No idea what uh, it is. It's disingenuous. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Mea culpa. Mea culpa. But no, it was a it was a great weekend. You know, we got we're starting the Holy Week liturgies. It was yeah. Palm Sunday, mm-hmm. the second week of Passion Tide. It was a beautiful, beautiful uh procession with that banging on the doors. Maybe we can talk about the uh the liturgical uh ceremonies of Holy Week. That would be a great conversation to have. And uh, it was great. And then we had the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. I think one day, whenever a future pope comes and declares the dogma of the immaculate of the uh, mediatrix of graces and co-redemptrix, it'll be on the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. Amen. I think so. Hey, uh, before I forget, South and Central Texas, guess what? You have the incredible Father Donald Calloway headed your way coming up this month. In fact, April the 28th, it's the birthday of my sister, but uh, that night... At the Banquet Hall of Holy Trinity Catholic Church in San Antonio, Texas, Father Donald Calloway is going to be there to give a keynote. Praise be to God. It's the South and Central Texas Fishers of Men dinner. But if you want to go, you have to act fast because April 19th is the cutoff if you want a whole table for you and your friends or your family. So uh, make sure to contact our local uh, manager there in the South and Central Texas region, Sean Rice. You can do that by going to our website, grnonline.com, and you can scroll down. You can find not only his contact information, but you can also click on the information for the Fishers of Men dinner. It's also linked up in the events menu. So just go there, grnonline.com, or you can call the local station and you can... uh, Register on the phone, too. So all the information is on the website, grnonline.com. But act fast. April 19th is fast approaching, and your cutoff will be, uh, well, it won't be good. You and your friends and family want to hang out with Father Donald Calloway. Act fast. Hey, also, I want to thank Luz and Michael and Isabel and June for taking a day on the calendar of our Lenten campaign. Praise be to God. Luz took Saturday. Michael Marr took Sunday. Isabel and June Yabara are taking today. So God love you for being so generous with your prayers, your fasting, your penances for our Lenten intentions. We're so grateful, praying for the complete conversion of heretics, blasphemers, peace in our world. God love you all. Thank you for doing it. So we're going to jump in. We're going to have a good news story coming up, plus Saint of the Day, Gospel of the Day, and then, of course, our game show, Fear and Trembling. Plus, we also have the after show where we allow you to dictate what we talk about. You drive that conversation. That's coming up all in this hour. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. May the most holy, most sacred, most adorable, most incomprehensible, and unutterable name of God be always praised, blessed, loved, adored, and glorified in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, by all the creatures of God, and by the sacred heart of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the most holy sacrament of the altar. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and now your good news with Rudy Carlos. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired, and here's a bit of good news. Breitbart reports Milwaukee Brewers invite 12-year-old Waukesha Parade survivor to throw first pitch. The Milwaukee Brewers are bringing hope and healing to a community five months after Waukesha, Wisconsin, uh, five months after the Waukesha, Wisconsin Parade tragedy by inviting a 12-year-old survivor to throw the first pitch at the team's home opener against the St. Louis Cardinals on April 14th. Sixth grader Tucker Sparks was hospitalized in intensive care for a cracked skull and road rash after Daryl E. Brooks drove his SUV through police barricades and into the town's annual Christmas parade route in a racially motivated attack, killing six and wounding 60 on November 21, 2021. 
Among those who died was Tucker's younger brother, eight-year-old Jackson, who succumbed to his injuries two days after the incident. The brothers were marching in the parade with their baseball team, the Waukesha Blazers. Tucker joined the Milwaukee Wave soccer team to honor his brother in February for a pregame kick against the St. Louis ambush. The Jackson Sparks Foundation recounted the event, saying on Sunday, February 6th, the Milwaukee Wave took on the St. Louis ambush. Prior to the game, the Milwaukee Wave offered a special moment to honor the memory of Jackson and support Tucker and the Sparks family. Tucker joined the team on the field for a pregame kick in an unforgettable experience. Brewers fans are revving up for the first home game and Tucker's first pitch. The Brewers have been very supportive of the Sparks family, and the team took part in the Jerseys for Jackson movement, where children nationwide were encouraged to wear sports jerseys to school on December 3rd in honor of Jackson. And that's really good news. God love you. The Saint of the Day, well, it's actually two. You get a twofer. The Saints of the Day is St. Stanislavs and St. Gemma Galgani. St. Stanislavs, well, he, I thought about him because my friend John O'Neill, it's his patron, actually. Born near Krakow, forgive me for all the Polish names coming up, was born on July 26, 1030. He was ordained a priest after being educated in the Cathedral School of Ginozo, near the capital of Poland. And at Paris, he was appointed preacher and archdeacon to the Bishop of Krakow where his eloquence and example brought about real conversion in many of his penitents, both clergy and laity. He became Bishop of Krakow in 1072. During an expedition against the Grand Duchy of Kiev, Stanislaus became involved in the political situation of Poland. Known for his outspokenness, he aimed his attacks at the evils of the peasantry and the king, especially the unjust wars and immoral acts of King Boleslaus II. The king first excused himself, and then he made a show of penance. But then he relapsed into his old ways. Stanislaus continued his open opposition in spite of charges of treason and threats of death. Finally, he excommunicated the king. We need that energy from our bishops today. Enraged, the latter ordered his soldiers to kill the bishop. But when they refused, the king killed Stanislaus with his own hands on April 11, 1079. He was forced to flee hungry, free to Hungary, and Boleslaus supposedly spent the rest of his life as a penitent in the Benedictine Abbey in Osik. It is also the John Paul II almost took the name Pope Stanislaus, but was told that it was too Polish, needed to pick a more Roman name. In 1878, the Saint Gemma Galgani was born on March 12th of 1878 near a village in Luca. She was born to a mother of noble lineage, and they were blessed with eight children. The future saint was baptized a day after she was born, and before she was even seven years old, she made her first confession. But soon after this, her mother became very ill. She used to kneel by her mother's pillow while they prayed together, till her father sent her away to be taken care of by a kind aunt. The little girl went without murmur, but she never saw her dear mother again, for she died soon after. Gemma developed meningitis, which left her deaf. She formed large abysses on her forehead, and her hair began to fall off. And finally, her limbs became paralyzed. A doctor was called in and tried many remedies, which all failed. In fact, she only grew worse. 
St. Gabriel of the Sorrowful Mother, which we've talked about before, and our friend Claire Alarude is doing an audiobook on his, on his life, appeared to her and told her that she would recover after completing the novena to the Sacred Heart. Gemma, now in perfect health, had always desired to be a consecrated nun, but this was not to be, for God had other plans. On the 8th of June, 1899, after receiving communion, Gemma went home and prayed, and she fell into ecstasy, and the Blessed Mother appeared to her, telling her that she would be her mother, and will thou be her true child. The Most Blessed Virgin opened her mantle and covered Gemma in it, and there she received the stigmata. St. Gemma died in 1903. St. Gemma Galgani, pray for us. Praise be to God in all things. The gospel today comes to us from John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. They gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served while Lazarus was one of those reclining at table with him. Mary took a liter of costly perfumed oil made from genuine aromatic nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and dried them with her hair. Those, the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then Judas the Iscariot, one of his disciples and the one who would betray him, said, Why was this oil not sold for 300 days' wages and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because... He was a thief and held the money bag and used to steal the contributions. So Jesus said, Leave her alone. Let her keep this for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The large crowd of the Jews found out that he was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And the chief priests plotted to kill Lazarus too, because many of the Jews were turning away and believing in Jesus because of him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. St. Christum said, Mary did not take part in serving the guests generally, but gave all her attention to our Lord, treating him not as mere man, but as God, something we talked extensively about last week in John 8 as we worked our way through that. Uh, Augustine would say the ointment with which Mary anointed the feet of Jesus was justice. It was therefore a pound. It was ointment of spikenard, too very precious. Dost thou seek to do justice? The just liveth by faith. Anoint the feet of Jesus by good living. Follow the Lord's footsteps. If thou hast a superfluity, give to the poor, and thou hast wiped the Lord's feet, for the hair is superfluous part of the body. Close quote, St. Augustine. Adrian, what did you find? Yes, a number of things from Cunha Salapide. Let's go over just two. One thing, he said, why is it six days before Passover? Okay, well, six has a beautifully symbolic meaning because God made all things in six days. On the sixth day, he made man. In the sixth age of the world, he willed to redeem him. And he suffered on the sixth day of the week and died at the sixth hour. So obviously, God has the number six in his mind as something of significance. And so, yeah, people tend to think that the day of, of Sunday as a seventh day of the week, but in reality, the Sabbath, which is Saturday, is actually the seventh day of the week. Sunday, or the Lord's Day, is the first day of the week. 
or as some mystics and some of the fathers would say, is actually the eighth day of creation because it was on the eighth day, the seven days plus one, in which Christ created new life for us. And that would be the eighth day of creation as some of the fathers would give as an analogy. The second thing is that of Judas. Why did Christ give to Judas the bag of money, knowing him to be a thief? Or Cuneus Lapre says he said this because, one, Judas was more qualified than others to make purchases, and two, to give an opportunity to others to recognize that there are going to be people who steal from the coffers of the church. Because in this situation, we have to recognize that when this happens, the wicked must be tolerated for fear of dividing the body of Christ. So keep that in mind that, yes, there will be evil people. People will steal from the church. People in our parish are not perfect, and bad things may happen, but this does not disprove the sanctity of the church itself. All right, we're going to break. We're going to come back, and we're going to play Fear and Trembling, the Catholic Trivia Game Show with prizes at stake, and we have a new prize pack this week that you could win. So you got to call right now. Phone lines are open, and Rudy Carlos is waiting to take your call right now at 877-757-9424. First caller gets to be the contestant at 877-757-9424. If you uh, haven't played the game in at least a month, you can try again, 877-757-9424. Call now. Phone lines are open at 877-757-9424. We'll be right back. Are there any basic rules for doing apologetics? 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to make a defense. Always be prepared, Scripture tells us. How can we always be prepared to make a defense of our faith? Rule number one, pray. Pray to the Holy Spirit that He give you the courage to share your faith and the wisdom to choose your words carefully and profitably. Rule number two, you don't have to know everything right now. Learn a little bit more about your faith each and every day. Read scripture, read the catechism, listen to apologetics tapes, listen to Catholic radio, learn a little bit at a time. Rule number three, Luke 5 verse 10, do not be afraid, henceforth you will be catching men. Jesus said this to Peter, but he's also saying it to us. Will you make mistakes and get into tight spots when you start sharing your faith with others? Yes, of course you will. But Peter made mistakes and he got into tight spots. Yet Jesus told Peter not to be afraid. Why? Because if we are sincere in our desire to share the truth with others, to share Jesus Christ with others, then Jesus will find a way to make good come from even our mistakes. Rule number four, always view a question about your faith or even an attack on your faith as an opportunity, an opportunity to share the truth. Rule number five, don't get frustrated. Catholics often get frustrated by what I call the doctrinal dance. You get asked about purgatory, Mary, the Pope, sacraments, all in rapid fire succession. Before you can answer one question, you're asked another, then another. Just keep bringing the discussion back to one topic until you've said all you want to say, then move on. Rule number six, never be afraid to say, I don't know when asked a question about your faith. Don't try to wing it. However, always follow I don't know with, but I will find out and get back to you and make sure you do. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation 
by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time and Fear and Trembling. Catholic Trivia Game Show where we have a secret and hidden agenda. So you are not allowed to tell anybody my secrets or my agendas. Deal? All right. Well, here we go. Number one, we like to, t- we like to teach the faith, so we have teachable moments in the questions where you're going to learn something new about your Catholic faith that you did not know before. Praise be to God. We like to have a laugh, and our callers are actually the best in the whole wide world. They laugh with us and have a good time, and we enjoy that most. And, of course, we give out prizes, which makes this a winner for everybody involved but for your sake, if you're new here, let me just explain. I have three Catholic trivia questions in front of me, but we do not ask the caller, so they don't even need to know the correct answers. They don't, they don't have to know a single one, and they could still win the game, because instead of asking them, I will ask Rudy and I will ask Adrian, one of which will be correct and the other will be incorrect. The caller will then have 15 seconds on the clock to make a decision Whomst do they trust more, Rudy or Adrian? And then every correct answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Rudy, what could they win? Praise be to God. Week number two of return sponsors. We have Catholic Printing Press once more. Catholic Printing Press works to recover, restore, and reproduce the forgotten holy cards of the past contemplative age of our church. And they pray that their new and upcoming projects will edify and help sustain the prayer lives of the lady. Please consider visiting their website at catholicprintingpress.com. They are generously sponsoring our game show this week with a variety of prayer cards. Now, these just aren't any prayer cards. They're not your mom's prayer cards. They might be your grandma's prayer cards. So uh, very, very beautiful, very beautiful cards. That should be their tagline. (laughs) These ain't your Your mom's. Your grandparents' prayer cards. That's super cool. CatholicPrintingPress.com, thank you for your generous sponsorship of our game show. Let's go to the phones, and if you didn't get on today, please do try again tomorrow. But uh, John, good morning to you. Good morning. Praise be to God, John. Where are you calling from? Dodge City, Kansas. Dodge Let's City, go. Kansas. Now, John, have you have you called before? Yes. I thought so. I thought I remembered you, John. How have you been, John? I'm doing okay, I guess. Well, just I guess. Hopefully it's going to be a great week. It's Holy Week. Yeah, it will be. It's a good, be good week to suffer. It's a good, it's a good <laughs> That's week true. That's so true. Well, we're glad you're here, John. Where do you go to church? Remind us. Uh, Cathedral of Our Lady of Guadalupe here nice. in Dodge City. Dodge City. Now, what is Dodge City know, uh, famous for again? Uh, uh, Boot Hill. Uh, Wyatt Earp. <laughs> Wyatt Earp. Yeah. Nice. You and Rudy have a connection Tombstone. because uh, you got your boots from Tombstone. I got my boots. I pulled them. I plucked them right off a dead guy on the side of the road. That's just wrong. <laughs> yep. That's just wrong. All right, John. Well, we're glad Kansas is on the board this week. Praise be to God. We love hearing from Kansas. Are you ready to play, sir? Yes. All right. It's sure. all easy question Monday. Yikes. So great way to start <laughs> off. <laughs> The week here, we're going to start with Rudy, as is our custom, our tradition, our patrimony. Good morning to you, Rudy. Good morning, Joe. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you sure? Yeah. Are you sure? I picked out my red tie just for this one. For just for this just day? Just for this day. Praise be to God. Uh, well, let's, let's go with an easy one here. Can you name for me the first sorrowful mystery of the Holy Rosary? 
Oh boy. Okay. Well, our Lord saw everything we were going to do, yeah. and He did it anyway. He did. And He saw it at the agony mm. of the garden. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. The agony of the garden is your answer. That's correct. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's just be safe, Johnny. Get a second opinion on this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, Adrian. Hey, Joe. Can you tell me? Yeah. I actually wore my blue tie just so I wouldn't be like Rudy. I feel like this is all of a sudden. <laughs> it's like good and evil. This is like a debate on. I'm the CNN Republican. Or something. He's the he's a Democrat. Yes. Yeah, there you there go. You go. Uh, Adrian, can you name for me the first sorrowful mystery of the Holy Rosary, please? Absolutely. The first sorrowful mystery yeah. would be the uh, prophecy of Simeon. The prophecy of Simeon. Yep. Simeon. Ooh, Good like man. The, the sword will pierce, pierce your, your heart. heart. Oh, mm-hmm. I see where you're going with that. A, a sign of contradiction. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's okay. the first sorrowful mystery. Well, John, I hope you pray the rosary. Uh, the question is, what is the first sorrowful mystery? Is it, as Adrian says, the prophecy of Simeon, or is it, as Rudy says, the agony of the garden? 15 seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? John, what say you? It's Rudy. It's the, it's uh, yeah, definitely Rudy. I mean, come let's on. go. Sorry, I, I was I was thinking about the first sorrow of Mary, ah. the prophecy of Simeon. very tricky. But you, you did well, John. You're in the cup. Praise be to God. Congratulations. Now I'm gonna be honest with you, John. The second question, easiest question, is easily the hardest of the three that we have today. Nah, it's, it's not that bad. It's really not. Third question's harder. Nah, I don't know about that. But okay, here we go. Uh, brace yourself, John. We're going to start with Adrian first. Adrian? Yes, <clears throat> that's my name. As the world's foremost Latin scholar, yes, you should be able to answer this question. Mm-hmm. Uh, translate for me, Anima Christi, into English, please. Ah, uh, yes. This is the anime Christi, the anime of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. an anime that's out that's actually mm-hmm. uh, about the life of Christ. And it, it's called, the title of the of the anime is called Anima Christi. So what is your answer again? The anime of Christ. The anime. Mm-hmm. Like as in the cartoons? Made in Japan. Yeah, like in Japan. Made in Japan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. Wow. Uh-huh. <clears throat> hey, Rudy. Can you tell me? Or rather, translate for me. <laughs> I know you're not the world's foremost... Linguist, as Adrian is. I don't know how to read. Possibly you might be able to help. He can't read. Translate for me, Anima Christi, into English, please. Anima, Anima, Christi, Christi, Christ, Anima, Mm -hmm. Soul of Christ. Oh, Oh, Anima does sound like soul. soul Anima, Soul, you're saying Soul of Christ. That's your final answer. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. All right, John, uh, here we go. Uh, Rudy says it is Soul of Christ, and... uh, Adrian says it is the anima, or the animation, anime, anime of, of Jesus? Of Christ. Of <laughs> Christ. 15 <laughs> seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? John, what say you? It's Rudy again. I'm Why would you think a, that? I'm noticing a trend. <laughs> I'm noticing a trend here. I don't get it. You know, the word anime and animation actually mm-hmm. does come from the word anima, which means mm-hmm. a soul, because... The soul makes something alive, and the characters on the screen look like they're alive. Yeah. So that's where that comes yeah. from. Yeah. There you go. All right. Praise be to God. You're in for two. Uh, you're starting off pretty good. You're you're batting a 1,000. Uh, now, this there's third one. I'm going to say it's not that bad. You should be able to get this one, John. Hardest question. No. No. We're going to go back to Rudy. All right, Rudy. Okay. You're up, buddy. All right. Can you tell me when does the burn... Start over. When... Does the blessing of the new fire occur? 
when does the blessing of the new fire occur? Okay, so uh, picture picture it now. The the Holy Ghost descends upon the apostles and our Blessed Virgin Mary. Okay, and mm-hmm. it forms into a fire. So it's oh. Pentecost. 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 The Pentecost. new fire. Yeah. New fire. Mm-hmm. Pentecost. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adrian, can you tell me? Maybe. When does the blessing of the new fire occur? Mm, the new fire. Yes. That would be on Holy Saturday. Not during the day. There's no yeah. liturgies during the okay. day. But okay. Holy Saturday evening. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. This is at nighttime. This is at night. Wow. Okay. I seem to remember something about this. Okay. Here we go, John. Is it as Adrian says, the blessing of the new fire occurs on Holy Saturday evening? Or is it as Rudy says, it happens at Pentecost? 15 seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? John, what say you? It seems to be Adrian's right. Oof. He said that with way too much confidence. He John. said Adrian is right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is. Man. That is painful to listen to. So true, King. (laughs) So painful to listen to Sylvester Stallone yell out, Adrian. Yo, Adrian. John, you're in for three. You did it. Was that tricky, John, or did you just like you knew that one already? Oh, I knew that last one for sure. Yeah. It was a breeze. Does the cathedral do like a big fire pit outside before they process in? Yes, they do. Yeah, praise be to God. Well, John, enjoy. Enjoy. Yeah, we'd love to see them. Enjoy your your uh, Holy Week. Enjoy your Triduum. Enjoy your Easter Sunday. But you're gonna have to tune in on Friday to see if it's God's holy will that your name be pulled out of that cup, John. Okay. God love you. Have a great day. Thank you for calling. It was so good to hear your voice again. We love Kansas when they call in. Praise be to God. All right, that is gonna do it for the radio side of our show. Thank you for hanging out with us today. We're very grateful to you. And we are looking forward to our after show where we get casual and conversate about whatever you want to talk about. You get to decide that by commenting on one of our live video feeds, which you can find linked up on our website, grnonline.com forward slash C-D-T. God love you. God bless you. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today we celebrate Monday of Holy Week. The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. All glory, Lord, and honor to you, Redeemer King, 
to whom the lips of children made sweet hosannas ring. You are the King of Israel and David's royal son. Now in the Lord's name coming, our King and Blessed One. All glory, Lord, and honor to you, Redeemer King, to whom the lips of children made sweet hosannas ring. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. My brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. You were sent to heal the contrite of heart. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. You came to call sinners. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. You are seated at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Let us pray. Grant, we pray, Almighty God, that though in our weakness we fail, we may be revived through the passion of your only begotten Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one with whom I am pleased, upon whom I have put my spirit. He shall bring forth justice to the nations, not crying out, not shouting, not making his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he shall not break, and a smoldering wick he shall not quench until he establishes justice on the earth. The coastlands will wait for his teaching. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spreads out the earth with its crops, who gives breath to its people and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you for the victory of justice. I have grasped you by the hand. I formed you and set you as a covenant of the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out prisoners from confinement and from the dungeon those who live in darkness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is my life's refuge. Of whom should I be afraid? The Lord, the Lord is, is my light and my salvation. When evildoers come at me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies themselves stumble and fall. The, the Lord, Lord is, is my, my light and my salvation. Though an army encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war be waged upon me, even then will I trust. 
the Lord is my light and my salvation. I believe that I shall see the bounty of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord with courage. Be stout-hearted and wait for the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. Hail to you, our King. You alone are compassionate with our faults. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. They gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served, while Lazarus was one of those reclining at table with him. Mary took a liter of costly perfumed oil made from genuine aromatic nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and dried them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then Judas the Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who would betray him, said, Why was this oil not sold for three hundred days' wages and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and held the money bag and used to steal the contributions. So Jesus said, Leave her alone. Let her keep this for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The large crowd of the Jews found out that he was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And the chief priests plotted to kill Lazarus too, because many of the Jews were turning away and believing in Jesus because of him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, to you Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Yesterday we celebrated the tremendous and beautiful feast of Passion Sunday or Palm Sunday, where Jesus has his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. G.K. Chesterton wrote a little poem about that donkey from the perspective of the donkey, that donkey who is, uh, well, it's kind of a strange-looking creature with big ears. He says, starve, scourge, deride me, I am dumb. I keep my secret still. The donkey says, fools, for I also had my hour, one far fierce hour and sweet. There was a shout about my ears and palms before my feet. <laughs> that donkey thought that all that praise was for him. No, it was for Jesus. <laughs> Maybe sometimes we kind of get caught up with that too, is that we think all the praise that everything we, we do, we accomplish, uh, is because of our own merits, our own power. Jesus, though, spurs us on into this Holy Week, spurs us on in our penances and our sacrifices, united to Jesus as he comes into his passion. His passion, of course, is his, this spilling of his blood, but it is his passion for us. He is passionate in his love for us. And this leads us kind of to into the gospel today. As we kind of, in this Holy Week, and I go in a way kind of chronologically, in journeying with Jesus, 
as he begins to enter into that moment where he gives his life completely for our salvation, he goes to Bethany to be with Lazarus and Martha and Mary. And Mary comes and has this uh, this uh, a jar of ointment, which, which she pours on the feet of Jesus and begins to wash them. And it's interesting that a beautiful detail in the Gospel of John which is that oil, that perfume, filled the entire room. I think it is there in this uh, this gesture of love for Jesus that is the key to understanding Monday of Holy Week. I think the theme is this, spare no expense. Jesus gave all for us, and he invites us to do the same, not to spare anything for love of him. And from that comes this exuberance, this kind of law of superabundance. We see this from the very beginning of creation with God to the very end in the book of Revelation. God, he, when he creates, when he gives, he gives in this superabundance. He does not, as Jesus, as Jesus says himself, he does not ration the spirit. No, he gives, and he gives bountifully. And it's the same he invites us to do the same, to have this exuberance in our life. Mary, who experienced the great mercy of God and the love of Jesus, wants to do this beautiful gesture for him now in this life, and then, of course, to prepare for his death. It is Judas, the most calculating one, right? The one who's stingy, the one who wants to hold on to the money. That is the one that, that, that is a heart that becomes enclosed. It is Mary and Lazarus and all those who breathed in that perfume of that beautiful oil that filled the room. It is those who then want to give exuberantly, to give abundantly, generously to the Lord, magnanimously. The Lord draws us. He uh, invites us. He draws us through this fragrance of his the aroma of Christ, St. Paul will say. He draws us this way. He doesn't uh, always command us so much, but he draws us by his love. And that is, I think, the key for us, to spare no expense for Jesus as we offer him the little sacrifices, the little penances that we have to give for him out of love for him. And then in turn, he pours forth his superabundance into our hearts to love even more. Let us spare no expense. Let us not think all that praise of the, everything we've done, everything is because of Jesus. All the praise is for him, for his glory. As we come and we enter in this door of Holy Week, we ask the Lord to fill us with his goodness, his love, and his mercy. And in, in return, we give our whole self exuberantly for the love of the Lord. Amen. In this time of the Lord's Passion, when Christ offered prayers and supplications to his Father with loud cries and tears, let us humbly beseech God that in answer to his Son's reverent submission, he may in mercy hear our prayers also. We pray that the Church, the Bride of Christ, may be more fully cleansed by his blood in this time of his Passion. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Let us pray that through the blood of Christ's cross, all things in the world may be brought to peace for the sake of salvation. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. That God may grant fortitude and patience to all who through sickness or hardship have a share in Christ's passion. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. 
Let us pray that we may all be led through the Lord's passion and cross to the glory of his resurrection. Spare no expense for the Lord. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For the intentions of those who are joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio Media, we pray also for all those who are enrolled in our Salt Mass Association. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Finally, we pray, always mindful of those who have died and of the holy souls in purgatory, whom Christ gave his life and love for them for us. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Be present, O Lord, to your people at prayer, so that what they do not have the confidence or presumption to ask, they may obtain by the merits of your Son's passion, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Parche Domine, Parche Populo Tuho, Ne in Eternum, Irascaris Nobis. Have mercy on me, God, in your kindness. In your compassion blot out my offense. Parche Domine, Parche Populo Tuho, Ne in Eternum, Irascaris Nobis. Oh, wash me more and more from my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin. Parche Domine, Parche Populo Tuho, Ne in Eternum, Hear us, God, no peace. Pray, dearly beloved, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and the good of all his holy church. Look graciously, O Lord, upon the sacred mysteries we celebrate here, and may what you have mercifully provided to cancel the judgment we incurred bear for us fruit in eternal life through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord, for the days of his saving passion and glorious resurrection are approaching, by which the pride of the ancient foe is vanquished, and the mystery of our redemption in Christ is celebrated. Through him the hosts of the angels adores your majesty and rejoices in your presence forever. May our voices, we pray, join with theirs in one chorus of exultant praise 
as we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Pleni sunt celi et terra, Gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy. And you never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you, by the same Spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. For on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. Mysterium fidei, mortem tuam, annunciamus Domine, et tuam resurrectionem confitemur, donec venias. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven, and as we look forward to his second coming, we offer you in thanksgiving this holy and living sacrifice. Look, we pray, upon the oblation of your church, and recognizing the sacrificial victim by whose death you will to reconcile us to yourself, grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son and filled with his Holy Spirit may become one body, one spirit in Christ. May he make of us an eternal offering to you, so that we may obtain an inheritance with your elect especially with the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with your blessed apostles and glorious martyrs, and with all the saints on whose constant intercession in your presence we rely for unfailing help. May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth 
with your servant Francis our Pope and Michael our Bishop, the order of bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you have gained for your own. Listen graciously to the prayers of this family whom you have summoned before you. In your compassion, O merciful Father, gather to yourself all your children scattered throughout the world. To our departed brothers and sisters and to all who are pleasing to you at their passing from this life, give kind admittance to your kingdom. There we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow on the world all that is good. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Preceptus salutaribus moniti, et divina institutione formati, audemus dicere, Pater noster, qui es in celis, sanctifice tuur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra, panem nostrum quotidianum, da nobis odie, et imite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed liberanos amalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church. Graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, Qui tollis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed.
Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Turn your ear towards me. On the day when I call, speedily answer me. an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The King of love, my shepherd is, whose goodness fails me never. I nothing lack if I am his, and he is mine forever. Where streams of living water flow, my ransom soul is leading. And where the verdant pastures grow with food celestial feeding. Confused and foolish oft I strayed, but yet in love he sought me, and on his shoulder gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me. Let us pray. Visit your people, O Lord, we pray, and with ever watchful love look upon the hearts dedicated to you by means of these sacred mysteries, so that under your protection we may keep safe this remedy of eternal salvation, which by your mercy we have received through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Bow down for the blessing. May your protection, O Lord, we pray, defend the humble and keep ever safe those who trust in your mercy that they may celebrate the Paschal festivities not only with bodily observance, but above all with purity of mind through Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go forth, the Mass is ended. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord The Prayer to St. Michael. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan 
and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruins of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Transmitting the treasures of our Catholic faith to your radio every day. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. is a 